Well, it's good to be here with you all. I'm not sure I actually introduced myself. My name is Jonathan. I'm one of the campus pastors here. Sorry, um, but it's good to be here with you. Well, have you ever had to describe yourself to someone you have never met before? Right? Maybe it was a job interview or maybe it was just sort of some you know, social gathering, get together over Christmas and someone sits down and says, well, tell me a little bit about yourself. I, I don't know about you, I find that one of the most difficult questions to answer. Right? Not because I don't know anything about me or, or myself, I can't describe, I, I don't know where to begin. Right? There's so many ways that you could answer that kind of a question. You, you could talk about your, your family, your spouse, your kids. You could talk about you know, your, your extended family. You could talk about your job, what you do throughout the day, what you do after work, your hobbies, your interests. You could talk about books you've read, movies you like. You could talk about your background and all the things that you have experienced, how you grew up, or even you know, where you want to go in the future. There, there's, there's a thousand and one different ways you could answer that question. But I had someone ask me a slightly different version. And what they asked me was this. They said, well, what takes up your attention? What, what grabs your attention? What, what thoughts are running through your mind throughout the day? What holds your focus? On a day-to-day -day basis, what are you thinking about? And I remember trying to stumble through kind of giving an answer, but as I kind of reflected on it, I thought, that's actually a very good question, right? Because that tells me what I actually am dwelling on, what I'm thinking about all throughout the day. That actually might tell me more about who I am than any description I could give. Right? Certainly you're going to be thinking about things like your job, your family, your chores, all those kinds of things that, that we all have to spend some amount of our day thinking about. But, but there's also a lot that our mind wanders off to. Things like our entertainment Right? News stories from the other side of the world, food we eat that day. It's amazing how much our, our minds get filled with all manner of things and, and how irregularly sometimes God actually makes up any part of our day. How, how much of our attention is actually spent, given to thinking about God and, and what he is doing in our lives. Well, this morning, we are going to be looking at two women who had their attention radically shifted. So if you have a Bible with you, let me invite you to open back up to Luke chapter 1. We're going to be continuing on this series, uh, our Advent series of just walking through the first two chapters of the book of Luke, and just looking at this Christmas story once again. Now, if you haven't been with us here for the last couple weeks, let me catch you up. Luke has been writing this account of Jesus' birth, and we've been kind of following two different women, and, and these two different women find themselves pregnant, all right? And neither one of them should be, right? Elizabeth and Mary. Elizabeth is way too old. She shouldn't be having a child, and Mary is a virgin. She definitely shouldn't be having a child, and yet both of these women now find themselves with child, and now for the first time they meet, so we've read our passage already this morning, but uh, in it, Mary comes and she meets her relative, Elizabeth. I I'm sure as soon as Gabriel, the angel, actually said to Mary, hey, you are going to have a child, I'm sure she was thinking, what on earth? Who could actually ever understand this? And Gabriel says, and your relative, Elizabeth, is also pregnant. And so Mary goes, here is one person who's actually going to understand what she is going through. You can imagine the reaction of most people who would have found out that Mary was pregnant. It was probably a little bit of like repulsion, a lot of judgment, 
oh, you're pregnant? Okay, well, we know how that happens. And opposed to that, we get Elizabeth. And we get her reaction that we're going to look at here this morning. Now, presumably, Zechariah is also there, Elizabeth's husband, but we don't really hear much from him. If you were here with us a couple weeks ago, you'll know why. Because Gabriel actually came and talked to him as well, and he didn't respond quite the same way. No, in fact, he said, what? No, that's not going to happen. And God said, yes, it is, and now you won't be able to speak until he's born. And so Zechariah was most certainly there, but he was saying nothing. So Elizabeth gets to speak. So verse 41, this is what it says. It says, when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb. Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. See, here was a different greeting for Mary. This was a different one. This was someone who actually understood that God was at work in her life. And we are told here that actually Elizabeth's response isn't just her own. In fact, it's the Holy Spirit now speaking through her. And so what I'd like us to do this morning is to actually pay attention, not just to what Elizabeth is saying, but to what actually the Holy Spirit is inspiring for us to hear and know. Right? The message actually tells us a lot about how God blesses us and it shows us how we are to respond to his promises. So let's look at it. What does the Holy Spirit actually inspire her to say? Well, the first thing that leaves her mouth is a blessing. It's a blessing pronounced onto Mary because she has a child. Now, the Bible says all children are a blessing from the Lord. Psalm 127, that is a gift of God. But, but especially here, Mary has a unique blessing from God. Verse 43 Elizabeth says, and why is it granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? That's an amazing statement, isn't it? Elizabeth here is saying to Mary, wow, you are the mother here of my Lord. What she's really declaring here is you are going to give birth to God, of God made man. And I mean, that's an amazing statement. You might ask, like, how on earth does Elizabeth know that, right? We kind of can read the end of the story. We can kind of figure all these things out. Yeah, Jesus was fully God, fully man. But how does Elizabeth know this at this moment? Well, surely we could say, well, okay, the Holy Spirit is inspiring her. And that's true. But I think we're given actually a few more clues here as well. See, Elizabeth knows something about her own child. Gabriel told her and her husband that her child would be preparing the way for the Lord. That in fact, her son had a role to play and that was he was going to point forward to the coming of the Messiah, point people to God himself. And when Mary comes in, her baby leaps in her womb. Now, I don't know exactly what that would have felt like if that's something more than a kick. I kind of think so. Whatever that was, she suddenly realizes, oh, this is my son already at work pointing me forward to the coming of God that Mary herself is going to bring forward. See, it's an amazing thing. And so Elizabeth says, Mary, you are blessed above all people because you are going to give birth to this Jesus, both God and man. Now, if you're wondering how that works, I mean, genuinely, we're going to have to ask Jesus when we meet him. <laughs> 
right? That is a complicated thing. And, and John last week walked us through a little bit of it, but it's a lot. But what we do see here is that this is actually God coming to be with us. But you might ask, okay, but, but why are we talking about this? Right? This is a blessing clearly here for Mary. And this is something that's not really going to be repeated. No one else is going to be giving birth to Jesus. So, so what does this really have to do with me? I mean, certainly it tells us about who Jesus is. But here, Elizabeth actually continues. And I want us to see what she says. Look at verse 45. It says, And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. See, now again, this is a blessing here for Mary, but it really teaches us about how God bestows these blessings. This is a blessing for anyone who believes in the promises of God. And you gotta hear that in the context, right? You gotta hear Elizabeth saying, Mary, you are blessed, because in the next room over, you've got Zechariah sitting there unable to speak. Why? Because he disbelieved. When the angel came and gave him a promise, he didn't actually respond in faith. No, he said, I don't think that is possible. And now he is sitting there unable to speak. In contrast, here is Mary, who receives a far more unbelievable kind of promise, and yet her response is one of belief and faith. And Elizabeth says, through your faith, you have been blessed. There is a blessing for you that comes through your faith. Now, we should probably just pause for just a moment and say, well, okay, hold on. Let's actually define that word there, blessing, right? Because we, we use that word, to mean a lot of different things. And I know it's kind of a churchy kind of word, but I've seen enough you know, Twitter posts which are hashtag blessed and to know that it gets used in a lot of really bad ways, right? It's used for everything. Here's, here's my new pot, hashtag blessed. And you're like, no, that's not, no, no, that's not what it means, all right? right? It's not talking about the stuff we have or our cars or our trucks or the vacations or even our children. Look how perfect they are. No, 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 all right? That's not what Elizabeth is talking about. In fact, when, when the Bible uses this word, it's using it to say a blessing is favor with God. Say it's actually favor with God. You can look back just to last week, verse 30. Gabriel says, you are Mary, you are highly favored before God. You are blessed. Someone who is blessed has received favor with God. You're in his good books, right? He's on your side. It's kind of like if you have a boss and, and you kind of know him outside of work. And so you guys kind of get along, you do stuff outside of work, and then it starts translating to like, you get the better shifts and you kind of get the nicer jobs and all that kind of stuff. That's kind of what it looks like with God on our side. We have God's favor. And so Elizabeth says, Mary, you have received this favor from God. Why? Well, one, you're gonna be bearing the son of God, but number two, because of your faith. Through your faith, you have received this favor. And see, here I said this had to do with us, and it does. Because the same way in which Mary received favor from God is the same way we do as well. And here's where we actually even have the advantage over Mary, because we've actually seen what Jesus came to do, what he actually did. 
He wasn't just simply coming to be born and live among us, but he in fact was born to be the savior of the world. Jesus would come and he would actually go to the cross and deal with our sin. And see, here is where I think sometimes we think so little of God's favor. See, I think a lot of us, we we naturally just assume, well, of course I have God's favor. Of course I'm on his good side. I'm in his good books, well, of course I am. I'm a nice guy. I do nice things every once in a while. It's Christmas. I'll give, you know, a little dollar here, a dollar there. Of course I'm in God's good books. But the truth is, actually, as we read the Bible, we find, actually, we don't look a lot like Mary. We actually look far more like Zechariah sitting in the other room, unable to speak because we disbelieved God. In fact, that's usually where we are. We're those who have ignored, disbelieved, have rejected God and actually turned away from him. And yet, God still came. He sent Jesus to earth so that he could actually deal with our sins, so that we could be made right before God, so that we actually would have his favor, that he would be on our side. Ephesians chapter 2, I apologize, it's not on the screen. It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. See, this is what it means to be blessed. It is God's favor given to us that we didn't earn. We didn't earn God's favor. In fact, it is the gift of Jesus Christ that comes to us simply through faith and trust in him. See, faith is sometimes a difficult thing, so let me put it this way. Faith looks like sitting on the side of the road in a broken down car, in the middle of a snowstorm, with a dead cell phone battery, and sitting there completely undisturbed, unworried, you're not worried at all. Why? Because moments before that cell phone died, you called your friend and said, hey, I need you to come pick me up, and he says, I'm on my way. You hung up the phone and you said, I don't have to worry. I don't have to worry anymore. Why? Because I trust that my friend will actually fulfill his promise to me. See, that's what faith actually looks like. Faith looks like relaxing and saying, I believe God is able to do all that he has promised. I trust him. It's because at the end of the day, All glory is going to go to him. Why is it faith that grants us this blessing? Because faith says, I'm not doing anything. I can't do anything. God has done everything. And so my only response then is praise and worship for what he has done for me. Ephesians says, so no one can boast. We respond in praise. In fact, that's exactly what Mary does here, doesn't she? How does she respond? Well, yes, she trusts God, but then she begins to sing this song and she responds by magnifying the Lord, praising our Savior. Now, I don't know if she, you know, immediately in this moment kind of broke out into song. Maybe she was musical. I don't know. I I kind of think she probably, you know, took a moment, sat down, maybe wrote down, reflected on what God had all been doing. But either way, she says, verse 46, Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. 
Her soul magnifies the Lord. The reason that this song has so often been called the Magnificat, right? That's sort of the, the Latin title for this. It's just the Latin word for magnify, all right? And that's just the title it's been given because that's really what this song is all about. It's about magnifying who God is. You might say, okay, I mean, that sounds really nice. That sounds nice to talk about magnifying God, but what does that mean, right? How exactly are we supposed to be doing that? Well, I don't know about you, but the first thing that jumps to my mind is a magnifying glass, right? Like old school detective kind of magnifying glass and looking at stuff, and well, what does that do? Well, it makes something bigger, doesn't it? Makes something look bigger so that I can now see all of the details and I can actually see it. It brings it closer to me. Or or to use maybe a more 21st century example, it's like your smartphone and you can zoom in on the camera function, right? You zoom in and what happens? What you've zoomed in on becomes bigger on the screen, right? It fills up more and more of the screen. Well, that's exactly what Mary is saying. She wants her soul to be magnifying God so that when anyone looks at her, they are seeing God. Let me give you an example. Let's say you're at work again. Let's say you work at an office job and at your desk, it is freezing cold. Like you've got four different sweaters, a toque, a scarf, you've got gloves on, you're trying to type at your computer, it's a mess, and you are just freezing the whole time while your boss... He sits in a very, very comfortable room. It is warm in there. He's got his own little heater, a fan when he feels like it's too warm. Like he is set up in luxury. And you go up to him and you say, okay, I got to tell you something. It is freezing cold out there. We need to turn the heat up. And he says, no, 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 no. It's not that bad. No, no, no. It is. All right. We actually have to deal with this. What are you doing there? You are magnifying the problem for him so that he can actually deal with it. You you are making it bigger so that he can recognize what's going on and saying, oh, actually, that is something that I should be dealing with. See, that's what Mary is doing. In my innermost being, I want to be magnifying God so that people around me can actually see who he is and actually deal with him. See, the truth is we all magnify something. Right? When you tell someone about the sale that is going on, you are magnifying that in their lives. When you talk about the Canucks and the kind of season that they're having, you are magnifying that. It takes up more room in your mental space and how you live your life. And so the question is, well, what ought we to be magnifying? Truth is, it, we have our attention split in a thousand different ways, Right? especially at this time of year. We have all kinds of things going on. There's, there's kids' performances. There are you know, staff Christmas parties to be going to. There's family get-togethers. There's all kinds of things to divert and are being magnified in our lives. It's the time of the year where we sing Silent Night, but we don't actually have any, right? We're busy with all kinds of distractions, And the truth is, at the time of the year where God ought to be most clearly seen is when it's so often he gets diminished in all of the other things that we are doing. And yet the call of faith is always to be magnifying our God, giving glory to him, making his character and his person known, being put on display. It's what the angels proclaim when he's born, isn't it? Luke chapter 2. 
glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. It's a blessing on those who have favor with God, but the announcement of Christmas is glory to God in the highest, that he would be seen as the greatest and most important thing in all of our lives, that when people would look at us, they would see Jesus magnified in our lives. See, our response is to be like Mary's. May God be magnified in my life. Colossians 3 puts it this way. It says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, In word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. See, to magnify God means everything we are doing, we're doing for him. It means when we go to work, we actually aren't working for our boss, we are working for God. When we're spending our money, it's not ours, it's God's money that we get to use. Right? Even our children aren't our own. They are a gift from God. Your health is a gift. Your car is to be used for God. Your marriage, your friendships, your body, everything you have is to be used to magnify and reveal God and what he has done. So that when people meet us, what we are doing is we're bringing God to their attention. Just like that frigid office, we're saying, this is something I think you want to know, you want to be able to deal with. This Christmas, I actually want you to know the love of God. I want you to actually see him. This is worth your attention and your consideration. I want you to know the favor and the blessing of God. I want you to rejoice in our Savior. See, that's where Mary's song goes. It goes to this celebration, this rejoicing, praising God, my Savior. Right? It's what the rest is all about. And in fact, it's kind of broken down into two halves. You can see it. First half is all about what God has done for Mary. And the second half is what God has done for everyone else, the nation of Israel and God's people. It's actually a helpful reminder to us. We live in a very individualized culture, right? Where we mostly think about ourselves, maybe the people close to us. But actually here, Mary is rejoicing because of what God has done for thousands of people around her. In fact, even throughout history. Verse 48, she says, For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. See, God has taken Mary from this state of of humility, right? From being one of the, the, the lowest people on the lowest social ladder and now unwed and pregnant and yet God is going to raise her up and she will be blessed by generations to come. In fact, that's how God works all the time, isn't it? If I just jump down to verse 51, we're going to see the same theme at work. It says, he has shown strength in his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. See, this is the pattern that God is working off of all the time. He is bringing down the proud and the rich and he is raising up the lowly and the humble. 
And so the first reason that Mary is praising God is because this is how God operates, because he actually opposes the proud, James chapter 4. It says, therefore, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Why does God oppose the proud? Shouldn't those be the ones who gain God's favor? Right? Surely the ones who can kind of bolster up enough confidence to approach God and say, God, would you help me? Surely they are the ones that God is going to deal with. And actually Mary says, no. The Bible says, no. It's those who know they can't do it by themselves. It's those who know they can't earn their way to God. They can't bolster up enough. They can't work their way into God's favor. It's those who are poor and humble and have nothing before God. Those are the ones that he exalts. In fact, Matthew chapter five, when Jesus begins to teach, he says, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the meek, or blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the meek, blessed are those who are hungry and thirsty. You see the pattern again and again. God is working with those who are lowly, humble, those who say, I can't do it on my own. I actually need a savior. See, that's how God works. And that's why we can actually rejoice and praise him. We can celebrate because we recognize that that's us. I didn't have anything that I could give to God to earn my way. Instead, he came to us and saved me. That's a reason to rejoice and a reason I get to celebrate and, and, yeah, celebrate what God has done in this season. He cares for the humble and the downcast so all glory might go to him. But Mary gives us a second reason. Verse 49, she says, For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. You can jump down to verse 54. We see the parallel. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. See, Mary is given the second reason why we ought to be praising God. It's because God is actually able to fulfill his promises. God is able, he is strong, he is powerful enough to actually carry through on what he has promised. All of us know people who have given, you know, amazing promises. It sounds great, but you know you have no ability to actually carry that out. They don't have the ability to do that, and yet that is not the case with God. The case with God is that actually he does, and even in what we see throughout all of the scriptures is there's tons of obstacles again and again that come up before God and his promises, and yet one by one, God not only works despite them, he works through all of them. There was nothing able to stop God from fulfilling his promises, Even in Mary's life, how on earth would she have a child, yet nothing is impossible for God? Is that not a good reason to praise God? Because we know that when he promises us something, there is not anything able to stop him from doing it. In fact, it says the reason that he is doing these things is because of his mercy. 
It's not even because we were so lovely. It's simply because God in his character is merciful. And so that is why I can trust that he will actually fulfill his promises and nothing will be able to stop him. The promise that anyone who comes to him in faith will be saved. There is nothing that can stop it. See, a number of years back, I I was working with a guy. This was before I worked at a church. I worked with a guy and he found out I was a Christian. And so he began to make fun of me and he kind of poke fun. And it was, it was all pretty much in good fun. But, but one day he actually, he actually asked me a real question. He said, what's the worst sin you could commit? What's the worst thing you could possibly do? And in a moment that I'm not sure I can fully explain, I, I looked at him and I said, well, it's not asking for forgiveness. Actually, the worst thing that you could do is to not ask for forgiveness from God. And he kind of looked back at me and he said, well, hold on, like, is that worse than murder? Surely, like, a murderer is worse. And my answer was, well, actually, God can forgive murder. But have you asked? See, actually, there isn't anything that can get in the way of God forgiving us our sins. There is nothing that will stand in the way. His promises are sure that anyone who comes to him in faith will be saved. I don't know what you've done. It's not enough to stop God. It's not enough to overpower God. Actually, his promises are sure. So I just want to encourage you today, take the moment. Christmas is this reminder of what God has come to do that we would actually come to know God, that we would actually come to be in his favor, that God would look on us and say, I'm on his side. I'm with them. That God is able to forgive us our sins if we would turn in repentance and faith, trusting that Jesus has actually paid it all. See, that's what Mary recognized all these years ago. What she recognized and what she was celebrating is that the gift of Jesus is that he would be the savior of the entire world. And so she rejoices and she praises God for his faithfulness, for his power, for his ability to carry through all of these things. Philippians 4.4 says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. We have so much to be thankful for, to celebrate and rejoice all the time. So can I encourage us, would you respond like Mary? Would you respond and say, I want to magnify God in my life. I want him to be seen and known. I want to praise him for what he has done. Stop getting distracted by all of the other things that that come up in our lives. He came to save us when we were low, when we had nothing to give. He has blessed us and given us favor with God. We didn't earn it, and so all the glory goes to God. Let us us rejoice and praise him for all that he has done. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much. Lord, we thank you that you are faithful, that you are good. Lord, that even when we were sinners, when we were far away from you, you came to us and you saved us. You looked on us with mercy and with love. Father, we haven't deserved that grace. We haven't earned your favor But Father, we place our trust in Jesus Christ. He has done enough. He has done all that we need. 
so that we can come before you. Father, we thank you for that. Thank you for the gift of Jesus Christ. We ask these things in your name. Amen.